Welcome into episode 205 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. And this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. Go to dreamsymbols.com, check out all the different symbols they have, but also check some of the uh, gongs, pitch percussion, and accessories they have. So if you're looking for something a little bit more um, creative and exploratory, they have a ton of different gong options. Um, they have wind gongs and bender gongs and fin gongs, and they also have the big traditional gongs. Um, you should also check out their pitch percussion. They have curtales if you want to get um, you know some some bright bell-like sounds added to your setup. They've got tuned gongs. They also have bell plates, which are made of aluminum, and they suspend vertically. So again, there's a lot of really creative things to explore you may not be aware of in the uh, Dream Symbols catalog, as well as they have cymbal bags, they have stands, they have... Uh, all kinds of cool stuff. So it's not just symbols. Although their symbols are great, you should definitely check out their symbols as well. But go to dreamsymbols.com. Take a look at everything they offer. I'm sure there's going to be something in there that inspires you. Um, if it's a nice, luscious ride symbol or something more uh, abstract and percussive. So go dreamsymbols.com. And uh, we're going we're gonna to go way back to 2015. And we're going to drop in the beat, a little lesson from Instagram that Mike Johnston posted to celebrate our fourth anniversary here of the Modern Drummer Podcast. So this is Mike Johnson laying down our intro beat, and let's get the show rolling. Finally, we're not laughing. We're not laughing. Last serious day. Very serious. This is our fourth year of doing podcasts, so we are officially earned our master's, no, bachelor's degree, bachelor's degree of podcasting for Mike and Mike. Wow. Majoring in communications, obviously. That is pretty awesome. Congratulations to us, and I'll see you next week. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) We deserve a day off. Come on. Come on, man. I'm, I'm, I'm scrambling. I've got, so, you know, I did the cowbell video shoot and everything but i took all of my own stuff down there and i didn't realize that i I was in such a scramble to take everything down there all my lights all my cameras obviously my drums and cymbals and hardware and everything but i just was not ready for what it was like to come back here and try to piece everything together so Uh, now do you take that as an opportunity to reevaluate everything yes yeah that's i do that too i kind of like doing that but then it's also daunting it would it would be different if it was just drums, but because it's lights, cameras, everything, there it's just a mess. And uh, so I'm, I'm getting it dialed, but I don't know if there's anything more satisfying than walking in and realizing my kit is off of the stage. I get to vacuum my drum rug. <laughs> yeah, I never do that. <laughs> oh my god, it feels so good. Because see, I don't. Uh, this is going to sound terrible, but. I play pretty new sticks all the time. I don't really have a lot of chips down there. It's uh-huh. when we have camp. Oh, yeah. They're Shredded. just shedding left and right, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, man. Now you have the, the hover mat on your stage? I do, yeah. That's a pain about the vacuum, isn't it? See, I don't I don't find that to be the case. No? But, man. I no, I mean, time. I have that little portable Dyson um, that you can charge on the wall. I mean, it's still a full vacuum cleaner, but it's... Uh, it's cordless and it works great. Uh, so I mean, no, at least no different than my Home Depot rugs from the past. You don't have that six months of stick dust just embedded in there. That does not, or dog hair. I've got dog hair that just will not come out of that thing. 
No, Juno. Juno's here right now. She's she's with me. She's a loyal podcast listener, although she has no idea what our podcast is truly about because she only gets to hear my part of it. Yeah, so she's a strange. little confused. She's like, "Who are you talking to, Dad?" Sorry, Juno. I've got my in ears in. Uh, someday I'll let her listen to it, the full thing, but not when we talk about things that we talk about. She's not old enough. Anyways, other than that, got the whole thing all kind of getting put back together, and then I'll be headed out of here. Off to Ireland. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. Yep. So we're going to try to do a show while you're in Ireland, but if, yep. if the past four years have, have been any indication, we might have to skip a week. Who knows? <laughs> oh, man. I cannot believe we've been doing this for four. And I've been doing the Ireland thing. This will be our fifth year. Yeah. Yeah, the first wow. one, I remember it was like a five-second delay. That was the most awkward uh, oh, podcast conversation. I was you were standing, in like a closet or something. Where? I was, yeah, I was standing in there. I don't even know what you call it when it's the place where the studio has all their things that they don't want in the actual studio. So it's like servers and okay. and all, and where they would repair outboard gear and stuff. So I, I'm standing like in this little tiny sliver of a closet, <laughs> probably getting some sort of radiation poisoning. I mean, there's like things beeping. There's servers. There's uh, you know just a bunch of preamps getting repaired, and yeah, we were doing our best. Now I know that they were lying to me. So they do have a hub, a high-speed hub, and it's it's a little off-site. Okay. And, and that's where they get – because I'm like, how do you guys even communicate with the outside world? <laughs> what if something goes wrong? <laughs> you have to have internet somewhere. And then I found out they do. Because all of a sudden I heard like a copy machine doing something. And I was like, what's in that room? Uh-huh. And, and it's, a, it's a bit far away from the studio. But I was like, okay, that's if I'm going to do the podcast, maybe I can carve out an hour where they'll let me be standing right next to the router. I'll put, <laughs> <laughs> I'll put my iPad on top of the router and you and I can knock it out. So anyways, this one should be fun because we've got, mentioned it before, but we've got Sput back in the mix. Right. So now it'll be Sput, Mark, Ash, uh, me and Richard Spaven for a couple days, so it should be a lot of fun. So, do you like organize with those guys ahead of time? What are you going to be teaching? I mean, or is it just you kind of know what each guy is going to be focusing on? I mean, how's it work? In the past, in the past, we've done that, and it's put some of the teachers that don't, some of the guys that don't teach full time, obviously, into some uncomfortable positions. Just like it would for me if if Ash came to me and said, "Okay, we're all going to do a a recording class." Mm-hmm. I would definitely be like, oh, I I don't do that. I mm-hmm. don't, you know, I'm not a session drummer, so I'll get us through, but I don't feel like an authority to teach it. So this year, Mark and I talked quite a bit about what if we just all do our own thing? Let's just mm-hmm. maximize what we do instead of we're all chasing each other and like this is everyone's going to teach a pad class, everyone's going to teach a reading class. Mm-hmm. Now it's just, you know what, Ash, you're you're one of the best session drummers in the world. If you want to do five days in a row of teaching how to be a session drummer, that's a pretty awesome thing for the campers. Yeah, and that's probably not even enough to even dig really deep into it. Yeah, totally. And for me, it's like, can you just let me teach, man? Let me really dive into this the way that I want to with my PDFs and the nerd style of teaching because <laughs> right. I, I don't feel bad about it. I love that stuff. So, uh, and I'm, I'm hoping, I mean, obviously Sput can do anything he wants, but I also know that we've got a lot of drummers there. Sput is also one of the most incredible musicians on the planet. So mm-hmm. hopefully he'll dig into that, maybe write some tracks for the campers and, and, he can be the music side of things. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So, And most people are probably listening to this while I'm actually there. So it's been a lot of fun. Man, Spud is funny. <laughs> that guy is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. 
You know what? This could be, if, if you get a chance, it's not awkward. It'd be a good opportunity to try to get some questions answered by those guys to share on the podcast. Just simple questions. Like, that's a great idea. Mark Giuliano, what do you look for in a ride symbol? Ash Zone, what do you look for in a snare drum? Just something simple. Because we've kind of flirted totally. with that idea in the past, but I'll put the ball in your court. You got you got three of the no, greatest I, drummers on earth <laughs> right there. I think that's a great uh, a great thing. I, I would be happy to do that. It should be, a, and and it would be great to get some of those answers. And and like Mike says, we have talked about this a lot. Unfortunately, this podcast is something that we have to put into both of our extremely busy schedules. And so even though we have the best intentions to make it the craziest, most produced podcast in the world, it always ends up being. 8.57 Pacific Standard Time. Like, hey, man, you ready to do this? Let's go. About this week? Yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> I got to go. Let's go. Uh, so anyway, so uh, when do you head to London? I don't remember. I know you mentioned it in the last one, but I don't remember when it is. Yeah, so that is confirmed. If you didn't hear last couple couple weeks ago, it is September 24th. That's a Tuesday. I will be in London for a clinic, um, 6.30 to 10.30 p.m. I don't know how that's going to feel jet lag. That should be pretty interesting. It might be loopy. We'll see. <laughs> but, nice. But the, uh, the That was my dog shaking out her ears. <laughs> the link to RSVP will be on my Facebook page. It's on the Modern Jumper Facebook page. It's on the Modern Jumper Facebook, uh, Modern Drummer Podcast Facebook page. It's in the show notes. So rather than me blurting out a URL... Um, you can just check it out there. We would like you to RSVP if you can. Um, it is a there's a cover charge and it's a limited number of people that can fit into this room. So I want to make sure anyone that wants to come out can get there and also uh, just give us a quick head count of who is interested. But yeah, that's September 24th. Um, I should probably have it up, but I don't know the details. Let's see. Here it is. <laughs> so professional. It. All right, it is going to be at uh, the gallery. Tile Yard, Studi- Tile Yard Studios in King's Cross. That is Tuesday, September 24th at 6.30 p.m. Be there. Man, I'm really excited for you. I, I can't wait for you to get home and for us to have our first pod- podcast after you get home and talk about you You actually were on a plane that went over an ocean. <laughs> <laughs> my, my little Dawson's all yeah, grown up. I guess that hasn't happened. I've gone... Across a lot of land and rivers, but not across an ocean. <laughs> Dude, you're amazing. I'm so I, I'm I'm really excited for you. You're gonna have a lot of fun. You're gonna experience a ton of just cool culture. Uh, the cool thing about going to England is is how similar everything is, yet how different it is at the exact same time. And it's just a you feel comfortable. Obviously, you can speak the language, but there's just a few things that'll bump into you every once in a while where you'll go, wait, that's what. That's breakfast. Yeah, I mean, I, I even something simple like how do I pay for stuff? Like, what? I have no idea. Do I need an American yeah. Express card? I mean, what do I do? You, you'll be fine. They take all forms. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be fine. So uh, yeah. dumb. I'm, I'm almost forty-one. You know, it's, it's just my life is ridiculous. <laughs> it is. It's amazing. I'm happy for you, man. All right, so. Guys and gals that are listening right now, we are going to get to a ton of listener questions in this episode. But first, just wanted to give you a little bit of historical background on something that is very important to me, which is Gretsch drums. We're not going to talk about the history of Gretsch the company or the history of really even the drums, but we're going to talk about the badges. The badges, I remember 
getting into Gretsch drums, even when I was younger, and everyone would talk about, oh, you got to get a round badge. You got to get a Jasper shell. Don't get a stop sign badge. No, do get a stop sign badge. Don't get a square badge. Okay, you can get a square. And I was like, I, I don't know what's going on. Now, what's funny is, and maybe this is something you can help out with, when I look at vintage drums, it doesn't seem like there was a lot of lines. Like the companies had a drum set, yeah. and it was that era. Yep. When did all of a sudden we start making beginner, intermediate, pro models? I mean, was that was that always happening, and it just wasn't popular? That's a good question. I'm going to say my guess would be Tama or Pearl, what, like the Export series. I the Export. That probably yeah. broke the mold. Because, yeah, you're right. I mean, Bloodwig had the club date, which was a cheaper kit, but it's still a pro kit. And, and for the most part, the kits were named after their sizes. You know, you have... Uh, what I'm playing uh, right now, the 2012-14, uh, what's that called? Uh, is that the Progressive Jazz? Progressive Jazz series. And then they have the Name Band series, which is 22, 13, 16. But it's the same drums. So they were named, the kits were named after their sizes and their configurations. But now, if somebody said, name all the Tama lines, oh, I'm goodness. like, I, do they do they still <laughs> make the Grand Star? Well, I mean, they keep adding to the SLP series, too. I just got the Hickory Kid in to review. It's like that alone is its own brand, the SLP brand. I agree. It's I crazy. totally agree. So so anyway, so when we go through this, just so you guys know, these are all high-end Gretsch kits. Starting in, I'm, We're going to start in the 1930s when the original round badge became a thing. Now, it was used before that in the 1920s, and the, the company was founded in the 1880s. So we'll go through all that, but just know that we're not talking about different lines of drums. These will all just be Gretsch drums. And then eventually the plies will differ. You'll have the three ply shell and the six ply shell. Uh, I will say once I'm done with all of this, if you have a hunger for Gretsch knowledge and you want to know the real deep, deep history in an hour long form of the entire company, definitely check out drum history podcast. Uh, Bart over there does an amazing job of digging deep into the history of our industry. And for for some of us, it would be very boring. For nerds like me and Mike, it's actually extremely entertaining. And a lot of times he's actually interviewing people that either have written books about the topic or he's interviewing maybe even the people that work for the company. So I'm going to get us started. So Gretsch was founded in 1883 by Frederick Gretsch uh, in Brooklyn, New York. So, companies founded in 1883 in Brooklyn, New York. Now you guys know why we have the line, the Gretsch Brooklyn series. It's named after where the company was founded. The original round badges showed up, like I said, they started showing up in the 1920s, but by the 1930s, all Gretsch shells had the round badge. So, if you don't know what the round badge is, and you can't envision it in your head, um, think of it as... It's just a circle, and then it has, on the top, it has the Gretsch logo, and this has the big, giant, stretched-out T right in the middle of the logo. Underneath, the G and the H of the Gretsch are two drumsticks. Then you have two lines, and then it says, Drum Makers Since 1883. So the real... I would say the differences that you would see in the round badges, and there were a lot of variations because these badges were not made by Gretsch. They were outsourced, and sometimes Gretsch would change who was making these badges. But the one thing that you'll notice is a lot of times there's a tack in the middle holding the badge on, and that's how the badge was actually attached. Now, they did bring that back recently, right? So there's the new classic that had a round badge i mean when did they first bring that badge back because i've had some people ask me like is this an old drum is this a new drum and it's because the round badge is 
came back at some point. So the round badge was reintroduced in 2013, okay. officially. Right. So 2013 is when we got our modern round badge, and I have to say, I think a lot of that was due to Stanton Moore because he showed up out of nowhere with a brand new kit with a round badge on it, and we all... <laughs> I was a Gretsch artist that time, and we all lost our minds. Like, wait a minute. We're all hunting on reverb because I was replacing... <laughs> I had stop sign badge kits, or I'm sorry, square badge kits, and I was replacing my badges with vintage badges. What? Really? I was prying them off. Yeah, I, I wanted that round badge. And, and in my mind, I was justified in doing so. I didn't realize I was ruining the value of the drum at the time. But I was like, it, they're made the same way. Same damn drum. Uh, it's a round badge. So anyways, I didn't know at the time. So now... Any kit you get from Gretsch is going to have a round badge as far as their USA Custom, their Brooklyn line, and their Broadcaster line. The USA Custom and the Broadcaster actually have the original round badge. The Brooklyn series has its own round badge. So 1930s to 1971, we have the round badge. Now, during that round badge era, there were two shells going on. We had the Gretsch three-ply shell. That's the warmest, most vintage sound you're going to get. And then in 1958, they went over to... Uh, a six-ply shell. They didn't make the six-ply shell themselves, so Gretsch outsourced that to the Jasper Furniture Company. So if you guys have heard of Jasper shells, that's in reference to the Jasper Furniture Company taking over the six-ply shell manufacturing for Gretsch. So from 1958 all the way till 2003, if you have a six-ply Gretsch shell, it is a Jasper shell. Now, Jasper Jasper Furniture Company went out of business in 2003, so Gretsch bought up all the tubes that they had. Mm -hmm. So probably until about 2005, it would still be a Jasper shell. So even though Jasper wasn't making them, Gretsch had a huge backstock of them. Interesting. Uh, So so that's just something to know when people talk about, like, is a Jasper shell? If you have a round badge, six-ply shell, between 1958 and at least 2003, you have a Jasper shell kit. And that's also the introduction of going away from a maple shell, an all maple shell, to what became Gretsch's recipe, which is a maple and gum shell. And when Jasper took over the manufacturing, they were having a lot of trouble gluing maple together. It's not a porous enough wood for the manufacturing gear that they had at the time. They really had a hard time getting those plies to stick together in a six-ply configuration. Well, gum is a harder wood, and it's a much more porous wood, so they started putting gum in between the plies of maple to get everything to stick together better, and that eventually became that great Gretsch sound. That's where it came from. So just so you know why that is. All right, so we go fast forward to 1972, and that is where we get our first stop sign badge. So now we're completely leaving the round badge era. We've got the stop sign badge, and it's literally in the shape of a stop sign. New logo, now the Gretsch logo, where it actually says Gretsch, is in a new font, and it's not rounded anymore because it's not having to fit a round badge. So it's a straight-across, horizontal Gretsch logo. Um, The G and the H are taller than the rest of the logo, but you still have a giant T-rod in the middle. So the top of the T actually spans the almost the entire logo. And it says that great Gretsch sound at the bottom of the badge. So that takes us up until 1979. In late 79, all the way deep into 1980, they changed the badge again. <laughs> what? For like seven months, it was a revised stop sign badge. And all they did, they changed it to like a vintage look. So the stop sign badge is all gold and bronze. The revised stop sign badge is almost, it's almost like it's, 
it looks like it's older than it is. So it's a brand new badge, but it's a little bit darker. Yeah. But the most important thing is at the bottom of the original stop sign badge from 72 to 79, at the bottom it said that great Gretsch sound. The revised stop sign badge says drum makers since 1883. So that's really the main difference of the badge. Very for about seven months. Now I'm curious because I have a chrome over brass snare that has one of those two badges. I don't know yeah. which one it is. I there you go. Think. And that, that'll at least date it for you. You'll know where it fits. Actually, you know what? No, it's I don't have a stop sign. Well, okay. So we have the square badge with, I mean, there's two different types of stop sign badges, right? There is, yes. There's one that actually looks like a stop sign, but there's one that's an octagon, but the sides are longer than the edges. What is that yes. one? So that is the original. That's the original. Wait, the sides? Mm, it's more like a square with the edges cut off. The corners cut off. Okay, so that's that's actually the square badge. That's the square does badge. It, does it say Gretsch on the top and the bottom? I'm looking at a picture. Yep, and it says USA in the middle. And it, and it, and it has the USA flipped and, yep. and straight. You have a... Uh, a post-1980 square badge Gretsch. <laughs> I think that's what I have. <laughs> and telling all your friends you're rolling with a stop sign. Okay, so in 1980, Gretsch went to what we're talking about now, which is the square badge. It is a square, except for it's really like a an awkward octagon. Uh, so the edges are just cut off into angles. It says Gretsch at the top and Gretsch at the bottom. But the badge, if you cut it right in the middle, it's a mirror image of itself. So Gretsch is... No matter how you look at this badge, it looks like it's right side up. The reason for this is in the 80s, people were playing square-sized toms. And when I say square size, I mean that the diameter of the shell and the depth of the shell is the same. So Mike and I could have gotten along so good in the 80s because it'd be an 8 by an 8 a 10 by 10 a 12 by 12 It's just a 10 14 by 14 except for the kicks, obviously. But so what they were doing is they were saying, no matter how you mount your toms, your badge will be right side up. So that lasted for a while. And then between 1980 and 2013, you had a bunch of different, uh, let's bring back this for an anniversary and let's do a line like yeah. this. And the new classic line brought a round badge back, but it wasn't the Gretsch round badge. It was a new classic round badge. All this chaos was going on as the company was changing hands over and over. And it was then being licensed out to com- command, is it? Uh, yep. for a while yep, yep. Uh, KMC, KMC and yep. then eventually it's all uh, it's still owned by the family of Gretsch I think most people know that DW owns the distribution rights along and then I believe it's Hal Leonard owns the distribution rights for Renown um, yeah that's the murky bit of Gretsch history is at one point they started importing drums from Asia and right. was a, it was really like a whole separate company it really is. And so when we talk about that great Gretsch sound, especially if you're looking to buy a Gretsch now um, or you're looking for something in the past, you want to stick with USA Custom, Broadcaster with a K, and Brooklyn. Those are made in South Carolina at the South Carolina factory. Now, as far as where they source their shells from, that's always confusing as well. Uh, but everything is made to Gretsch's uh, specs, and they are made in America. So that takes us all the way up to 2013. In 2013, Gretsch officially relaunched the round badge, and it looks just like the old round badge. And now we're back home. So, whew. I think that, I mean, really the biggest question is what what is the shell? Like, do you have the six-ply shell, or do you have a three-ply yes. shell? Because I think yes. all the six-ply shells are going to be pretty much the same, right, throughout the whole history? 
Yep, and Jasper did change the bearing edge from the from the bearing edge that was on the three ply shell. So you've so Gretsch has always maintained a thirty degree bearing edge, but sometimes it was thirty degrees on both sides. Sometimes it was thirty degrees from the inside down to the shell. Sometimes it was thirty degrees from the outside down to the um, mm. the wrap. So it, it those things matter a little bit too. From all the digging I did, especially now that I own one of these things, you know, I have a 1962 round badge, Jasper shell. From all the digging I did, almost everybody said a lot of it just has to do with the fact that your drums are 65 years old. <laughs> yeah, it's right. not Jasper. It's, you know, because they're saying, honestly, the Jasper Furniture Company, they were not drum manufacturers. These were not the most consistent kits. This is not like the hallmark of, oh, you got a good one. Mm-hmm. You, it's, you're lucky if you got a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can say that with any company. I've played some dogs in every brand. Like, there right. was one floor tom. I remember it was a house kit. I was so excited to play it. I'm not going to name the company. But <laughs> I hit the floor tom. I was like, D- what? Is this even making a sound? <laughs> <laughs> like, what is this? Is this thing mad at me? Are you it mad was like at it me? It was full of, like, rubber. The drum was just full of rubber. <laughs> It was awful. It was so disappointing. (laughs) You know, it's funny because the guy, I can't remember his name, but the guy that I was dealing with at Hawthorne Drum Shop in uh, Massachusetts. Pittsburgh. No, are you sure? Pittsburgh. (laughs) I don't know about that. Are we talking about the same place? All right. I'm going to look it up, and it's it's done once and for all. Hawthorne. We've had this dispute before. You don't care about anything east of the Mississippi. (laughs) Shut up. I believe that's, that's a so word nice. for word quote. I did that's a quote from you. I wouldn't even I don't even know where the Mississippi is. <laughs> Damn it, it's in Pennsylvania. Is that where Pittsburgh is? Oh, uh, keep I'm going. Keep going. All right, fine. So the fine folks at Hawthorne Drum Shop in Pennsylvania. <sighs> Which is, by the way, my uncle lives there. I know that it's a place. I'm well aware of it. <laughs> I know that it's a place. <laughs> I mean, I know that it's... Anyways, before I get my ass kicked. Uh, so anyways, uh, the fine folks there, that was one of the things that they were really helpful with. They weren't just trying to find me a three-piece Gretsch progressive jazz kit. They were trying to find me that sound. And I remember him mm. sending me like, look, I know what you're looking for. I know you've put the feelers out to all the vintage shops in the u.s i have one that is that is it it does the thing you want it to do and they don't all do that so um so yeah it's it's an important thing it's a piece of history it's the reason why i actually put it in cases when i drove down to la the other day Mm. that was crazy i had to go deep into the garage to find those things (laughs) but they're amazing i mean yeah i would well you know what i don't know if i would because it survived this far, who cares? <laughs> well, my biggest fear is I was I took a rental car, no tint on the windows, oh, yeah. and I'm thinking if I park even for five seconds in the LA sun and there's yeah. direct light right on this shell, it's over. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I'm lucky the wrap is still on at all. What are so, the spurs on that thing? Gorgeous, <laughs> like pot metal, <laughs> like toothpicks. <laughs> do they do Such they work? Yeah, once you put those things on them from... Oh, the K-brakes? Yeah, I got K-brakes on them. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it really enhances the vintage vibe to have some (laughs) K-brakes on your 1960s round badge kit. I mean, I have a a Slingerland kit that the the Spurs literally do nothing. They don't even extend enough to touch the ground. It's like, oh, really? why did anyone put these on this spot? (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) 
Was the ground higher back in the day? Yeah, Did they like, play in like a U-shaped <laughs> stage? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, I have to say that the Spurs have plenty of room to go down, probably another two or three inches from where I have them. Uh, but I put the K brakes on them, and it 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 doesn't move. So that's good. Um, that's a good tip. Yeah, those old Spurs are just they're just metal rods, just sharpened. They're metal, metal rods. rods, and that's yeah. what's great about the K brakes is. They just go right in, and then you tighten them up, and mm. uh, they fold up nicely. So I, I do use those on that kit. But long story short, the reason I drove all the way to Los Angeles, if, if you haven't made that drive from Northern California to Southern California, it's about a seven-hour drive, but it's one road, I-5 straight. So it's a long seven hours. Mm. There's nothing to take your <laughs> mind off the fact that you are on a straight road going through Central California, which is our agricultural hub. So it's like, and there's garlic. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and there's cow poo, you know? And so like you literally, you, if you've made that drive long enough or enough times, you have an instinct of when to hit the recycle air on. Cause you know, <laughs> we are one mile away from cow poo and uh, of manure yards. Uh, so anyways, uh, I made that drive with my kit because it's a piece of history. I wanted it to be a part of this thing. I knew it would look great in the shoot. Uh, so anyways, that's the history of the Gretsch badge series. And I hope that, opens your mind to like oh cool now i can identify certain drums just by the way the badge looks and just so you know i'm only doing this because that's this is the one we picked and i'm the most familiar with it but this works with ludwig keystone badges and mm-hmm. when you're trying to find an acrylite which acrylite should you get should you get yeah. the the olive and you know uh, yeah, it never that, ends that's funny i've had that question so many times and i just say yes like yes <laughs> yes it's, a, it's an aluminum <laughs> drum it's, it's 140 bucks, even if you got the wrong one. Sell for 120 I mean, and move sure, on. You want, you want to pay more for an Acrolyte? Get the one with the Keystone badge. <laughs> you want to play <laughs> less for an Acrolyte? Get the black one. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So uh, in the Acrolyte world, would the Keystone badge be the desired one? Only if you care, honestly. Right. Only if you care. Because okay. I, I do not hear a difference sonically at all. I mean, got each it. drum is different, but I don't think the year, in my experience, has anything to do with right. it. So. I mean, that's the the thing about uh, the badges with Gretsch is it, it does tell you a little bit at, at certain times of what was going on with the company or where things were coming from. But the I think the main thing is identifying that Jasper era because we always think, well, it has to be round badge to be a Jasper shell. And that's incorrect. If you mm-hmm. get a pre-1958 round badge kit, you do not. If you have a three-ply shell, you don't have a Jasper shell. And... You could have a stop sign badge shell, and it's definitely a Jasper shell. I mean, it went all the way until 2003. Yeah. So all the 70s, 80s, 90s, that's all Jasper shells. And there's other and companies th- that were using that shell as well. I'm pretty sure oh, absolutely. Fibes was using the same same shell. Yeah, that, that There's probably a couple other ones as well. Someone out there probably knows more. I don't, I don't even know if the Fibes shell is the exact same makeup, but it is a Jasper shell. I don't know what's in it, oh. but it's a Jasper shell. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. All right, hope that gives you some info. You ready to dive into some questions? All right, I've got about 800 emails open here, so let's try to blast through them here. <laughs> this one is our first one is from Ted. Uh, my question is about drum miking. First of all, I think we need to settle how to spell miking once and for Ooh, all. Ooh, that is a tough one, man. Because I see micing, I see micing with, with a with an apostrophe. Of an apostrophe. In it. <laughs> It's M-I-K-I-N-G. That is miking. The act of miking something is with a K. If you're talking a microphone, it's with a C. A mic 
is a C or microphone. But to to mic something is with a K. The act of miking something is yeah. always with a K. So no apostrophes needed. M I K I N G. Never, never. And M I C I N G is micing. That's the word is micing. You just miced it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? After trying to edit uh, some of the audio from my cowbell shoot in a warehouse, I'm pretty sure I miced it. <laughs> I'm in trouble, bro. No, really. <laughs> We'll make it work, but uh, yeah, it's it, it's a lot of reverb. You got like a hum of like a like fluorescent lights and everything else. No, it's not that bad, but it is. Oof, man, it's like cool, zika, 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 zika. It's so loud. All right, here's something I want to give you uh, something to try. I've never done this. Fantastic. Do a parallel mix. So do. Is you know best as you can with what you got, and then okay. do a parallel version where you use either a transient designer or an enveloper that you can okay. suck out all the room. Okay, I think in, in Logic there's even a, a preset in the enveloper that says "room kill," so it literally just okay. gets rid of anything that happens after the the note stops resonating. Gone. Gotcha. Wonder if you blend those two together, if you'll get the perfect combo. I've never tried it. I'll- I'll that give it a go, crazy. and I because I did after we talked yesterday. I did get, you know, uh, the bill is a little outrageous, but I bought every envelope plug-in there is because <laughs> nice. I was like, oh, you have a <laughs> preset called No Room in. Um, so I, you know, I think what's hard is it's funny when I do like a clap because we have to mark time. Obviously, like all right, roll speed on camera one, roll speed camera two, roll speed audio clap. If I if I throw it on there. There is no room. It's flaws. The problem is when you're playing a drum solo, those things do have a little bit of a hard time going, what do you want us to take out? Mm-hmm. Uh, so because there, if it was a voice, it could get a hold of it. But when I'm going from a cowbell to high-pitched hi-hats, a kick drum's going the whole time. There's so many frequencies. So it's working. I'll send you a mix a little bit later today of where I'm at. And then you can tell me hey, send me the raw files and I'll mix it for you. And I'll be like, what? Why would you do that? You're so kind. And you'll be like, because that's what friends do. I'm like, wow, what a cool guy. <laughs> Such a good dude. Is that how everything worked with Carter? Hey, just can you just transcribe my entire book? Thanks. That's what friends do. Love you. <laughs> no, sort of, but no. <laughs> okay. But there was a transaction of funds. That's what I needed to know. All right. So just email Amber at Mike'sLessons.com. And tell her what you need. Oh, so let's get to Ted's question, shall we? So I'm, I, I don't mind it. The question about drum miking. Uh, so he plays in a rock slash country cover band, mostly bars and a few functions. The goal is not necessarily to be louder, but to make the drums sound bigger. So I'm contemplating buying a sort of internal mics. That way all I have to do when I get there is run the wire from the drums to the board. Blah blah blah. Um, so his so the question is: Could you guys give me your thoughts and opinions on this, or maybe uh, there's a different solution, or maybe I should try the Yamaha EAD10, or just use a bass drum and overhead mic? Right now, I am miking the bass drum and sometimes the snare with an with a SM57. Go ahead, bud. Uh, I have not had good experience with the internal mics. I'm I'm sure some of you have had great experiences with them. I find that you have to do so much EQing to make them sound natural. I think your best bet is to do an overhead and a bass drum mic because you really just want clarity of the kit and the cymbals, and you want the bass drum is going to be the most important thing, in my opinion, to make the band sound bigger. Snare drum, yeah. especially if you're playing a bar snare drum, I almost never feel like anyone should ever mic it up. <laughs> That's just my opinion. Um, it's the loudest instrument on your kit. 
but you know an overhead that's low that kind of just gets a little bit of extra sparkle that would be my suggestion um and you could do that yeah. with any like small diaphragm condenser i think would be your best choice for that yeah and i i feel almost like if you want to add you're saying you don't want to add volume but you want to add thickness and richness to the mix i almost feel like just whether it be the ead 10 or something like what mike reviewed the other day with the Roland stuff just triggering that kick yeah and not miking it but just getting one flawless kick sample going on would really uh, mike and i've talked about it a lot on this podcast that there is a really weird thing that happens with pas where they do really good with samples and really bad with microphones unless it's a great pa yeah but you can have a crappy PA, and if you have a sample going through, a sampled kick, a sampled clap, a sampled snare, it just reproduces it really well. So I would say, you know, whether it's the EAD-10 and you use just the tiniest bit of the EAD-10's microphone, but use the kick sample, that's one way to go. Yeah. Or what was the thing that you reviewed the other day with the foot switches? The oh, yeah, the tiny, Roland TM-1. Yeah, something like that would be great as well. The other thing I would really suggest, and I had to do this a lot, in bars, you feel like the drums are not thick enough. They're not doing their job. Please get a friend to play one song during soundcheck with your band and go stand out at front of house because it might be much better than you think it is from back where you are. Especially even if you get a monitor, you're not getting the full mix. And when you get a buddy to play your kit, then it's like, oh, what was I worried about? The drums are way big enough. Yeah, you know? yeah, I agree. I think I think your suggestion for the trigger is a good option as well because I almost always, if I mic the bass drum you're dealing with feedback because if you don't you probably yeah. don't have a gate on your pa system and that you need a gate to get a bass drum to really not hum so yeah to keep your life easy i think to keep it simple is, yeah. is the and best i bet. mean how fun is it to go into a bar and be like arena kick right <clears> yeah <throat> now the <laughs> ad10 like, if, you, if you don't tweak the mic setting like just straight out of the box that microphone is way too sensitive it's going Agreed. to it's going to scream so you have to you have to recalibrate the microphone to to bring it way down lower than you think. Um, yeah. That's that's been the number one complaint I've heard, and it's it's literally because it's just too hot. You need to just bring the level down on on the microphone. Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully that awesome. helps. Next. All right, we've got one here from. And that's an audio question. We'll do that one later. This one's from Leonard. Um. Nah. Okay. So I started playing drums a few years ago after a 40-year layoff. Now that I'm getting some gigs, I'm hoping to add electronics to my five-piece PDP kit. Can you help me decide if I should go with the Yamaha DTX-502, something similar from another company, or the Yamaha EAD-10? My budget is around 600 bucks. I'd really like to have a bass drum trigger, a dual trigger for the snare, and a three-zone pad to place where a second rack tom goes. Um, the e- the eighty ten will let you do that because it has all those trigger inputs yep. for sure. I think it's more than six hundred bucks though, isn't it? Oh, how much is it? I'll look it up. You keep talking. I'll okay, look that so up. that would be your probably your best option out the gates because it has the, the, all the trigger inputs you need. Plus, it has the effects and the microphones. Um, the T the Roland TM two has two stereo trigger in, so you could do bass drum trigger and then split so you could do a split off the bass drum you do a bass a dual trigger coming out of the bass drum input so you could do a bass drum trigger and a pad and then you could do snare drum trigger that's dual if you really need it or you could split it make it a mono trigger on the snare drum to another pad so you could have potentially four 
devices hooked up to the TM2. Doesn't give you exactly what you want. Well, I mean, you want three zone pad where your rack tom goes. That's so that's where you're going to have some trouble. And not to mention, no matter who makes it, it's going to be expensive. Yep. You know, so I'm looking at it. The EAD10 brand new on Sweetwater or wherever, four ninety nine. Then the Yamaha dual zone trigger that you can put on your snare or your tom that's 89 so that gives you your full budget you're just missing that the three zone pad if you want to you know if you're ocd like me and everything had to be yamaha if you do their 12 inch snare pad uh which i that's what we actually have here for our campers uh, as their main kit that's 400 bucks just for that pad that's not worth it i would get a a dual zone used like roland Yes. PD8 or something. It's, it's, it'll, be, it'll give you the head and the rim. You don't need that third one. You, you need, I mean, that's that's kind of wishful thinking, I think, <laughs> to get three, I agree. three triggers. No, I, I totally agree. But yeah, the EAD10, and you could go on Reverb and find this thing used for three ninety nine if you just need to save some money. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, th- I think that would be a great solution. It's funny, I was talking to my buddy Steve Harding. He came out to the Cowbell shoot, and he's going through that stuff right now. Mm-hmm. Um He's starting to gig a lot, and he's going through, like, how come there just isn't a simple solution for gigging drummers to bring in electronics? And it's like, because every gig is so different, everyone caters to a different part of it. You almost have to dive in, make the purchase of something, and be like, screw it. I'm going to figure out how to make it work with what I've got. Mm. Because everything does one thing better than the other. Um, yeah, it's like maybe. Diff- and, go and, ahead. And the ones that like really can do it all, you're talking a thousand bucks, like the Roland uh, TM6. That. that's an amazing module and that's what a lot of touring guys are using because it's it's essentially a electronic drum kit with no pads so you can okay. you can plug anything you want into it um but that's like a thousand bucks but that could pretty much do anything you could do all kinds of stuff with that but so you're talking about it's this. actually it's it's come down to 7.99 oh yeah the the six yeah um but that's with nothing. You need triggers. You need pads. <laughs> <laughs> Just walking around like I got this. I got this. I'm good. But it's an I, amazing gonna... piece of gear. But you know, yeah, it's not quite the you know the the bar gig budget. Like I said, I think you almost have to just bite the bullet. It, it was the same with cameras for me. Like you know what? I can only assume that if James Cameron came here to shoot a short, he could grab any camera I have and make it work. Right. So you ha- you have to just dive in and go. Okay, I'm going to learn the language. There there is a shared language that will go across Roland and Yamaha and Alesis and all of that. But then there's the specific language to these companies, and one of their menu systems will make a little more sense than the others. And uh, you just go for it. But it, it's it's not it's not easy because it's just we're not there yet where everyone's doing it so much that we've come up with the one-stop solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're getting there. I would say we're probably two NAMs away from being like, I mean, the, the EAD 10 was, a, is a game changer for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it still doesn't do, it's still not a rolling TM six. So yeah. 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 All right. All right. We didn't answer that one. Good luck. Nope. Enjoy your confusion. <laughs> Just a quick reminder, this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. In the intro, I focused more on the percussive side of what they offer, but even in the symbol category, they have some creative options you may not be aware of. In particular, check out the tri-hats. What this is, is you get three 14-inch hi-hat symbols, each from a different series and a different weight, and you get a bag for that and a clutch. And then the premise is you can mix and match those three symbols however you want to get different 
different types of sounds, different textures, different uh, volumes, different sensitivities, different trashiness or crispness. And there are two sets of those. So go to dreamsymbols.com, click products, symbols, and you'll see triads. Check those out. And then um, everything else there, they got the, you know, the ignition packs. That's a great option if you're looking for just a, you know, a basic symbol setup for a student or maybe for your teaching studio or just something to have for your own rehearsing. That's a full setup. The ignition packs. Um, what do they offer? They've got. Yeah, it comes with 14 inch hi hats, a 16 inch crash, and a 20 inch ride plus a bag. So that's an awesome option. Um, and then just snoop around. So dreamsymbols.com. Check out all their different symbols. Um, there's some really cool choices. Some creative stuff. Some warm, trashy, jazzy kind of things. It's a nice, nice option if you're looking to just expand your setup with some new colors. So go to dreamsymbols.com. Um, all right, let's get back to the okay, questions. Okay, this one is um, this one's from Mike Eaton. You mentioned in one of your podcasts of someone who will relay or rework symbols, but I couldn't find the reference in the podcast. Uh, quickly, that's Nicky Moon. So just go to Nicky Moon on Instagram and and hit him up, and he will he will rework whatever you've got. Um, all right, next one is from Tim. So Tim says, I've been getting back into playing after having kids and I have a question for you both about snare drum tuning. I'm trying to update my sound from 2013. I recently got a DW Edge snare and I've been having a hard time getting this drum to not sound boxy. It's a 6 amp by 14 satin oil maple with the edge rings. Uh, Looks like he's tried a bunch of different heads. He's tried a bunch of different tuning. Um, Historically, I played a, a Ludwig Superphonic and a brass Yamaha and roughly the same sizes. So, do I do I have a bad drum, or am I needing to change my expectations? I've never had this issue with past drums, and would love some advice. You definitely need to change your expectations. I owned that exact drum in a five and a half and a six and a half, and because of all the cool specs, I was like, "This is and the price. It's got to be the best drum in the world." Mm. Man, it does one thing: hit the snot out of it at <laughs> high tension, and that's it. And it goes snare. Like and that, but but if you're going from what did he say, a superphonic? Yeah, superphonic and a brass Yamaha. It is so the opposite. Those those two drums that you have have so much life and sensitivity, and this thing is just a punch to the forehead. Yeah, Um, it's what it does, and so you're in the right place to say, should I change my expectation? That DW Edge snare is doing exactly what it was designed to do, but it's nothing like the drums you've had in the past. Uh, so I would say, honestly, I'd go back to the drums you had in the past. There's nothing wrong with buying one of those. Yeah, or just realize that that drum probably does its own magical thing and just use it for that magical thing and get yourself a superphonic yeah. to do everything else. It's just, I think it's a little tough in that, I mean, I haven't looked at the price of one recently, but you know, that's probably in that $1,000 range. And it's tough to have a specialty drum for $1,000 when you're going, shouldn't it do everything at this cost? And it's mm-hmm. like, uh, it, it kind of does what it does. And it's expensive because it's not an easy drum to make. It's not, that was a thing that I had to come to terms with a long time ago, but it was not easy to come to terms with. Cost does not equal quality of sound. Cost yeah. equals how much work went into it and the materials it took to make it. it, it determined, it's determined by the cost of what it took to make the dang thing. Yeah. So I used to think, well, a $1,200 snare sounds better than a $600 snare. That is wrong. It just sounds the way it sounds, but it's that cost because of how hard it was to make. Yeah. yeah. And it was actually yeah. John Good who said, do you know how hard it is to bend a piece of koa wood into a circle? <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> well, it's really hard. I was like, so that's why it's expensive. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I appreciate that, but I'm like, yeah, that doesn't. That's not an excuse. I have an eighty dollar drum that that lends up on most sessions. So, right. The drum, no, that's what I mean. Yeah. Is and and that's what he was saying. Is like, I, I we didn't charge this much because of how good it sounds. We charge this much because it's impossible to bend this piece of wood into a circle. <laughs> it took six months of it sitting in a steamer. It's like, well, that makes sense then. Uh, so I think that sound is there is a cap where i feel like okay it's not going to get any better sounding from here on out now as the money gets piled on it's because of the finish or the customization that went into the drum itself uh but but yeah i think um, now isn't that dw edge the the neil peart drum didn't he play that for a while well he did yeah so but but it's not their sound you're looking for that that really precise hit and quit snare sound i don't think you can get a superphonic to do that no, exactly. You're you're right. It does what it's designed to do. But man, if if you're doing diddles and you're you're kind of <laughs> skimming around, that that edge snare is like no, 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 I won't do it. <laughs> All right, let's move along. <laughs> That's my DW edge snare sound. Snare sound. Okay, this uh, is. Uh, aren't you a DW artist, by the way? Hardware. I am. Oh, my God. That was going to be my... We won't go on tangent, but I got some new light DW hardware, not the super light flat base stuff, but I think it's the 7000 series. Oh, yeah. It's the dream for me. Okay. Yeah, it's single-braced hardware, but I still get that 9000 series top, so I don't have the clickies. Mm-hmm. The click, 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 click. Absolutely love it. Uh, I'll make it a pick of the week maybe in two weeks. So, yes, I am a huge fan of DW. Don't get that wrong. <laughs> but, damn, that edge snare drove me nuts for a while, so I'm with you. All right, Darden, this, this is another snare drum question coming from John. Uh, he says, I love the wood snare comparison that we did in the magazine a few months back. If you remember, that was when I had uh, Bucks County make six identical drums out of different oh, yeah. timber. Um, so he has a question about that. It got me thinking as to what you both might suggest as a place for me to start to add a different snare voice to my collection. Currently, the main two I have is a 5x14 Pearl Sensitone Elite Aluminum, 10 lugs, so that's the superphonic style, and then a 6.5x14 Indie Maple, 5x Maple 8 lug. What would be the next thing to add to that? We need some depth. Brass. Both are fives, right? Deep, no, six and a half. The maple is six and a half. So oh, he has I'm a sorry. deep maple okay. and, a sh- and a shallow aluminum. Yeah. I think brass. You're missing brass. I agree. Now, yeah. would you go deep or shallow? We might differ. I go, I go, right, in, I go right in the middle. I'd go 14 by five, or excuse me, five and a half by 14. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, for, for what, but I, it's so tough when we get these questions because without seeing him play or his style, it's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do know the difference between... A five and a half and a six and a half is decent. The difference between a five and a five and a half is actually quite massive. Mm-hmm. I find a bigger difference between five and five and a half than I do five and a half and six and a half. Interesting. Just out of the drums I own. Um, and I have a couple that I own the five, the five and a half, and the six and a half of the exact same drum. Um, five and a half gives me good versatility. It's still not going to get you. I mean, a six and a half has something special, especially if you're going to be a, a heavy hitter. You know, it just. Yeah. It has a body to it. If these were my drums, I would use the Pearl tuned tight for that real snappy, funky sound. I would have the Maple probably tuned pretty low for a real deep and, and muffled for more of a dead sound. So I would want a deep brass to give me that really open, like studio sounding drum. Yeah. Just for what I do. I play music that requires just simple backbeats. And you could probably get the Maple to do that, but you're not going to get that, like, just that luscious overtone that you get from brass that's yeah. my suggestion i'm with you 
I, I'm with you. I think that sounds good. Okay, cool. Dig it. All right, our next one is from Ira. So uh, apparently I hinted at something in episode 199 about when uh, I initially assess a drum kit being new or used, the first thing to look at is um, how the claws fit the bass drum. So the question is, what else influences your first impression? Is it the finish, the hardware, the heads, the bearing edge, the throw-off? Um, and then, yep, let's just go. There was two questions. We'll go with that one. So what is the first thing you look at when assessing a new or used drum set? Man, that's such a good question. I mean, if I could, the first thing I would assess would be the bearing edges. Yeah, which um, is almost impossible to do. Unless right. Yeah. I mean, w- yeah. unless I'm taking off the heads, I mean, that would be, that's the, cause that is the one thing that I'm going to know, like, well, this thing's toast. Mm-hmm. Um, now you can assess the bearing edges with a drum key. Like if you can tune the drum decently and you still can't get anything to come out of it, yeah. you know, the edges are jacked. That's true. Uh, yeah. If you get that, if you try to go even medium low and it starts rippling, then, you know, your edges are Something's not, wrong. not good. Um, that I'm looking for is the wrap peeling anywhere, mm-hmm. um, starting to separate from the shell. So there's that. Um, man, that's a that's a really good question. Uh, I, I tend to look at the things that could fail that would end up being a hidden cost that you wouldn't realize down okay. the road. So I look at the lugs. Is there anything going on with any of the lugs that could potentially be a problem? Is one look like it's damaged or you know any kind of potential is are the, are the tension rods coming in kind of in an angle that might be stripping them out right. there's all these little yeah. things like to find a replacement lug could sometimes be a deal breaker for like if it's a bunch of lugs on a snare drum I mean you could be a couple hundred bucks when you just paid 150 for the drum itself not to mention the headache of trying to track them down on reverb it's like a 68 not a 69 and yeah. it's it's not an easy thing to do um, yeah, definitely that. And I'm also looking to you and I have experienced personally that even with best intentions, drums get dropped. Yeah, it's pretty easy to hold a drum up and just see, is it out of round, meaning that it got dropped and then it bent the hoop and then the hoop is pushing in on the shell. Yep. So <clears throat> those are things, too, where um, I'm, I'm looking for that. Um, yeah, I mean, it. That Man, happened. That I, exact thing. I bought this massive single in kit from 1977. It was huge. 24 inch bass drum. It had a, had a 13, 14, 13, 14, 15 rack toms. Maybe it was 12, 13, 14, 15. So four rack toms, 16, 18 inch floor toms. And if you've seen. When was this? This was a 70s Slingerland kit. No, when did you get it? It was my first vintage kit I ever bought. It was some guy, okay. and it was right when I just moved up here. I just needed, I just wanted some old drums, and I found this okay. on, on Craigslist. Uh, so it was a guy who had bought it in the 70s, and it was, I mean, if you've seen the 70s Slingerland Tom mounts, it's like a freaking espresso machine on the <laughs> on the drum. Really? So he was, and he, and he, he told me he didn't use the um, front hoop on his bass drum very often. So there's all these issues. So he has giant 14, 15-inch rack toms on this this thin three-ply shell with this massive mount. So no matter what I did, I even sent that shell to get repaired, and the guy was like, you know what? How about we just build you a new shell, put all the old hardware on it, and just call it the same drum? <laughs> really? Just start over. Wow. It was so It was like an egg. It was so <clears throat> frustrating. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, and in the end... 
maybe bringing somebody with you. If you're looking at a use kit, bringing someone with you that knows more than you, nothing wrong with that. Uh, just like we talked about with uh, Hawthorne in Boston, Mass, Pennsylvania. <laughs> uh, I trusted the owner and <coughs> excuse me. And I had to buy that kit sight unseen. It was just videos, but he was like, it's, it's in round original hoops, original parts. Everything's fine. So sweet. So his second question, it might be fun for us to try here. So he's, he says the same names come up time and time again when we're discussing drummers who make the groove feel good. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't cough around her. She loses her mind if I cough. Okay, babe. Honey, I'm fine. I am fine. Okay. okay. It's so cute. I'm, yeah, it really is. You're stepping on the good. You guys can't see it, but Mike's being smothered by his dog at the moment. Because I coughed. <laughs> Honey, I'm fine. Okay. Okay, you're going to pull my ears Okay, out, so babe. the question okay. is, there must be drummers or recordings where the drums don't make the song or groove feel good. So does Ooh. anything come to mind? Now, I... I think last week or maybe two weeks ago, I said I was looking for live versions of uh, Bill Withers stuff. James Gadsden and Bill Withers, two of my favorite artists and, and musicians, and they individually everything always feels amazing. But on one particular live recording, I found it did not feel good, and I didn't want to listen to it because I didn't want to. I didn't want to absorb that weird. <laughs> Like don't the, rub off on me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, I don't want this to be what I think good feeling groove is. The, the acoustic guitar was clearly in a different universe compared to the hi-hat. So wow. I think it's just recording the recording. And, and for me, it, it took me years to develop the ear and the confidence to say, no, that feels weird. Rather than, oh, it must be great yeah. because they're legends. Everything they do must be amazing. I have a song that it's it's too modern to mention the artist and the song because you and I are both friends with the drummer, but it's one of my favorite grooves of all time, and it's a it's a it's a great like R and B song, but just a little bit of swing to it. But live drums, killing everything's good. It's one of my favorite songs. So happy, and then at some point, for whatever reason, it had to have been a producer that suggested this, but. The groove changes into this syncopated, sissy strut, weird thing, but the song doesn't do anything. Everything's just going. And then the drums are just like, I mean, B-side, now. And <laughs> it ruins the song. And I will send it to you as soon as this is over. You can tell me if you feel the same. But that drives me nuts. And I will tell you, I will give you something because I don't think it's a person, so we're not going to embarrass anybody. But Beyonce has one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, I guess I have a lot of favorite songs of all time. Anyways, uh, let's see. Where is it? Woo! I'm already happy. Love on Top. So Love on Top by Beyonce. Grooving. Everything's killing. And then just randomly in the second half of the song, they bring in these really out-of-place snare samples in like the syncopated thing. Like, boom, don't got to don't, but don't got kick, 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 kick. it's like what the hell was that did anyone because we've been in sessions when you sit in a session you have a moment where you listen back did anyone go hey that thing that sounds like someone just like shot a rat what was that it's so distracting 
So that is so yes, I do have that. That's the one song where it bums me out because I always want to jam to it, but I know I only get two and a half minutes of fun before that snare starts just <laughs> punching me in the throat. And I'm like, eh, I'm over it. I don't want to be know, a part of this anymore. Conversely, I've learned to really love Charlie Watts' jagged groove and and how the mm. band they might start at one tempo, but by the time he comes in, it's like uh, we're going over here now. And that <laughs> I actually really really love that because it just shows that that they're a band and they're they're just they're doing what they need to do to do what they do right. you know it's yeah it's no one said hey charlie can you not slow down when you come in no man I, you know <laughs> I, I feel the same about live police stuff it's yeah. like dude it, it lives it breathes so i'm okay with that uh but i there are certain times where you're like oh man i mean if you think about what you and i became friends over in the first place we never bonded over how badass somebody was on the drum set. We always bonded over their choices. That's why we talked so much about Matt Chamberlain. Yeah, It wasn't like he was playing something that was on a whole nother level drumming-wise. Like We had the skill to do it. It's like, I just wouldn't have chosen to do that. But since he chose to do that, it's a brilliant choice. Mm-hmm. I think Josh Freeze is a great example of a rock drummer that just makes some of the best choices in the world. Uh, and so, yeah. So I, I always... I would say if I find something that is clearly a bad choice, it really bums me out, especially if it's a song that I love. I'm like, oh, <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm playing man. a ballad and you just went and grabbed Chad Sexton's snare? Damn. <laughs> there's definitely, we could go on forever kind of picking apart. There's there's a, a rhythmic figure that that every time I hear it, it's like, no human being would want to play that. Some producer or, or arranger said that we're going to do some tight hits. It's going to be one E, two, and a. Yeah. Da, da, I hate it. I absolutely hate it because there's <laughs> nothing you can do on the drums that makes that feel normal. Like, what right. are you going to hit? You're going to hit two snares. You're going to hit snare floor toms. Snare yeah. ba- it's just a terrible Let's, figure. Yeah, I, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And there's like so I've, many hit songs that have that. I'm like, clearly a producer said do that because the band right. would never be like, let's do that really dumb. And da, it, da, yeah. Da, da. <laughs> I think that's isn't that uh, Pretender by uh, Foo Fighters? There's so many. There's so yeah. many. It's like it's like the, the default. We need some tight hits going into the third chorus or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're just inevitably. It's like all right, right hand on floor tom, left hand on snare. Let's just get this over with. It dun, doesn't. Dun, it's, it doesn't. Dun, dun. It never feels right. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> well, if you just throw some double bass underneath it, dun, 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 all better. All right. Well, thank you uh, for that question, so that Mike and I could get some stuff off our chest. Because <laughs> we just, we're, I can only be positive for so long. At some point, I got to be like Beyonce. What the hell was going on? She's like, All yeah, right. I really care about what you think. <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh, you mean the one that sold twenty million records? The one that sold thirty million? Yeah. yeah. Let's not worry about yeah. that snare drum sample. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> so this oh is God. our our last question. This is from Simon. Um, so he's in the process of figuring out what his dream kit would be, which is amazing. Congratulations for being that at that That's point. That's a fun thing. So uh, he's in the market for a kit with 12, 14, 16. So it's a 12-inch rack tom, two floor toms, 14, 16, 20-inch bass drum. And it will probably live in the studio most of the time. He wants it to be able to handle high jazz tunings as well as the low-fat rock tunings. Hmm. I want the drums to have a warm vintage sound but with modern hardware. So, basically, he's got uh, option overwhelmed. So his first thought was a Gretsch broadcaster, and then he's saying, what about a vintage Ludwig or a vintage Gretsch? And then what about the Thomas Starr series? Basically, he's looking for us to tell him what to get. (laughs) Okay. Well, 
So we just had a camper here, Joe Farantelli, that went through the same thing. And he's here. I've got USA Customs. I've got vintage kits. I've got Brooklyn's. I've got broadcasters. And he just contacted his Sweetwater representative today to order his Tama maple kit. He got the star? Yeah, a star classic. Star classic, yeah. yeah yep. And it was because I talked to him about what he loves. He grew up listening to Rush. He loves prog rock. He likes he likes to you know play a lot of notes. And so I was like, dude, he loves Weckle. He loves a direct focus sound. I was like, I'm sorry, man. Like, Gretsch is not meant f- specifically for that as much as Tama is. Tama's going to give you more options in that. You're going to love it. Uh, so uh, I would say for what you described – I would not choose the broadcaster. Broadcaster will do one of those things you talked about, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. I would probably go with the Brooklyn. The Brooklyn is yeah. the right in between, you know. Which is a that's a maple poplar shell, correct? Yes, yes. Six so ply like maple poplar, thirty classic. degree edges. Yeah, and, and I think you could find a similar version of that from anybody. Ludwig W. The classic maple or the uh, legacy maple, depending on which which side of the the spectrum you want to go i mean tama star classic i mean that's i think that's got overshadowed by how amazing the star series is but that star classic is still about as good as you can get in my opinion yeah i agree i think you have to kind of decide what finishes what look what brand what hardware what company i mean a lot of it gets comes down to what who do you identify with yeah who who speaks to you as a as a brand now, he did say in the studio, and I think he means his own practice studio, but if it was an actual studio where you're bringing in other people, I would stick with either Gretsch or Ludwig just because when you walk into a studio, those are two iconic brands that would give someone walking into that studio confidence. It has nothing to do with sound. It's all in their own mind. But when you see a Ludwig all mic'd up, you go, oh, this must be a studio. When you see a Gretsch all mic'd mm. up, this must be a studio. So not that every drum company in the world can't produce the exact same sound or get you what you need but uh something to think about but i totally agree the reason why i pushed one of the big reasons why i pushed joe towards tama was the finishes i was Mm -hmm. like dude they're all going to sound great but at some point you will walk into your room and open the door and see a drum set get the one that makes you go i'm gonna play all night long like (laughs) i'm telling you like i have a lot of drum sets i can't get rid of this damn blue sparkle kit because every time i walk in the studio i go what's up girl I get so excited, and it's like I could have that same kit in salmon, which is the man's version of pink. Right. I wouldn't feel the same. I'd just be like, I know it's a vintage Gretsch. I know it sounds great. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to play it. So now, you know, I think finishes are really important. What we didn't talk about was if, if money really is no option, then you can get a custom kit built from scratch from any number of really really good builders so that's kind of the way my i always lean is like who's the who's the local badass custom guy and then let me go to them and, and let them suggest what what i should get yeah it's, good, it's always good an call. option because then they can mix and match the, the shell timber i mean all kinds of stuff but either way it's a good problem to have let us know what you decide and that's a Love good it. way to end it right we're done boom we are done we, we answered done. not many questions, so we have a bunch more. Hopefully, we'll get to them. I'm trying to um, empty out the Modern Drummer podcast inbox here, so hopefully, in the next couple episodes, we will get yeah. to all of your questions if we haven't reached to it. Some of these have been here for a while, so I really apologize if you've been waiting. We'll knock them out while I'm in Ireland. There we go. So we've got. Yep. But that said, we could uh, 
we could use some audio questions. We have two, so if we can get a couple more, we'll do a segment with audio questions. Send them to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We have to pull the winning number of the snare drum. Boom. I we love it. We didn't even talk saw- about it the whole episode. I know. <laughs> I everyone that entered the pot or the contest to win it, they they tuned out a long time ago. Like these guys are lying; they're not giving anything away. <laughs> shady, uh, they, the shady. You know mics. they're <laughs> they're sharing that snare drum themselves. They eBayed it and got themselves a trip to Hawaii. Yeah, we um, forgot to tell you that the entry fee is one hundred and fifty bucks. <laughs> yeah, so shipping will be six hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> no matter where you live. Even if you can pick it up locally, shipping is six fifty. Uh, okay, so. We're picking this at random. You're going to use a randomizing number generator thing? Yep. So just for all clarity, what I did was I assigned everyone who entered a number, and then I'm going to go to Google. What did I type in? It was just random number generator. Number generator. Yep. So Google has that feature. So you do the minimum and the maximum, and then as soon as I hit the button, we're going to pick the winning number. And then we're going to figure out who the heck that is. <laughs> so are you Ooh. ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's spin the magic wheel. Well, the lucky number was 65, and the account that was the entry that was assigned to the number 65 was one of the creepier entries. Um, this oh, is what? someone on a stretcher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, go ahead and charge him 100 joules. All right, charge to 100 joules. Wait, what's his name? Uh, Stallion? 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 Alright, go ahead and shop there. I'm not Stellios. Stellios. <laughs> oh my goodness. So we brought someone back to life on that post. Man, that's great. That was so good. Now, Stelios did not win because he <laughs> outcreated everyone. He won because he had 96 entries. So, uh, this was a. Uh, a matter of just ha- uh, flooding the gates with that stuff. So, Stelios, congratulations on your snare, my friend. Uh, I had told Mike Dawson earlier, if he doesn't win by the random generator, I am going to give him something because that was so much effort. So, congrats <laughs> yes, on your snare, buddy. And what is really kind of an interesting twist is I'm pretty sure he's in Virginia Beach and he's met Bruce Hagwood, who is the man who built the drum that he just won. So if you could get a chance, if you're, if you can go over to Bruce's shop and get him to sign it and take a photo, that'd be super yeah. cool. So, I don't know. This whole thing feels fixed. Stelios, Stelios. I don't know what his name is. Stelios. My God, <laughs> he made 96 videos for us, bro. Stelios. Congratulations. We're gonna uh, we'll be hitting you up for your your address, and we'll get that drum out of here. So uh, cool. Right away. Thanks to everybody that just honestly contest be damned i couldn't care less about that stuff just seeing that you guys actually listen to this stuff that you're a part of our family it's amazing so thank you guys so much and please don't stop posting that stuff just because there's no contest going on mike and i see it tag us in it and we see it and it makes us more excited to do this podcast when we know that you're listening we feel like you're listening but sometimes we are in a bit of a vacuum and when we see that stuff on Instagram, on Facebook, it, we know that you're listening, and that just makes it so worthwhile for us. So, yeah, that's it. This is episode what number? It doesn't matter. 205. Our fourth anniversary episode, which is insane. Um, I got so I was, you nothing. I was looking back at my, my Instagram feed for four years ago. I was deep in a self-hatred, self-loathing mode. Every post oh. was like, this is terrible. This is terrible. Like, <laughs> oh, the, no. the post that I put out the day we released, or maybe the day after we released episode one, I called it uh, Funky Bummer. 
and it was me playing a, a slow mo version of Funky Drummer. When no, I, and I and I overdubbed uh, people booing. So that was the that was the post. Wow! Oh my god, I had no idea. I was dealing with somebody just on the edge. So I'm going to say, if nothing else, this show has helped me get through my personal hatred, and I, I'm a much happier man after four wow. years. That's crazy. I'm I'm actually scrolling through Instagram, just trying to as it's loading, trying to I find out what was going on at that time. I guarantee nothing was different. I'd I'd be all chipper and like, hey man. <laughs> Crush it live. <laughs> Woo! Um, yeah, well, you had your, your stuff figured out long before I did. For me, it was the beginning of the, all right, let's be honest about how good or not good you are as a drummer, and let's, let's address right. all the problems. So I I definitely want to thank everyone who's listening, who's given us a reason to do this show, because every week it's like, all right, you're, you're accountable. You've got to report. Yes. Like, what are you doing? How are you improving? Keeping curious, because I want to make sure I can share information from my own experience. I'm not just regurgitating stuff i might have read or heard so it's been a it's been a nice journey for me to just to do this thing and um it's awesome that people actually listen to it and care enough so that's super cool yeah it has been quite the journey for sure and it's it's something that has made me take a deeper look at myself as a player and find out okay if i want to be you know i don't have a desire to be a great or one of the great drummers of all time, but I do have a desire to be known as a great explainer and I want to get better at that, but I don't think I can get anybody on board with my explanations if I, if the proof isn't in the pudding. So it's made me have to take the fundamentals much more seriously. Uh, I do not gloss over. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of in time. It's good mm-hmm. enough. It's, it's not good enough. Like I, I want to be great at this stuff so that I can pass this knowledge and I want to go through it on my own so I can pass that on to other people um, Isn't it by the crazy way? the thought? Oh, go ahead. I mean, because when you're, this is from from the different phases of my career. When you're a private teacher and you're only working with people like one on one beginners, you can get away with a lot of stuff because you're always a little bit, you're always better than your student, right? You're always good Absolutely. enough. But now that we're talking yep. international level, <laughs> it's like if I want to talk about playing in time, I better not put anything out that's not in time, <laughs> you know. Well, especially when you know who's listening. We, you and I yeah. know some of the pros that listen, and we can't be the authorities on time when, you know, when Steve Gad's listening. He's not. <laughs> but uh, by the way, I'm just looking at how. So I can only visually see how dense the, <laughs> this thing is. So I found a post from December 31st, 2015. I can only see it right now. I wonder if you can see how fast I'm going. Like, oh, man, yeah. The note density. So I'm going to play the audio. <laughs> but just to know how much busier I was back then. Um. <laughs> Sounds like it's on fast forward. What were you going for? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, just uploaded a full lesson on YouTube. Of this groove, if you call it that. It's it's a damn drum solo. Hope you enjoy it. Drum Teacher 76. Here's the post before it. <laughs> Just so Alright, stop. Alright, so okay. So that means we gotta end the show with my funky bummer then. <laughs> okay, fine. You you do the funky bummer. Um, oh, and I will say we had just released the very first book that had been turned into an app at that on that same week. Groove Freedom was released, so that was oh, a big wow. deal for me back right. then. Yep, 
All right. We got your audio for Funky Bummer. Uh, outro played by a very, very sad Michael Dawson. Um, the, uh, <laughs> we got to get you a, a T-shirt of you with a sad face that just says, chin up, kid. You know what's funny is I'm, I'm generally a very positive person, but I'm also very self-critical about art. So yeah, don't take this to me needing to be medicated or anything. I'm just yeah, having, don't send him letters. He's fine. <laughs> I just have a twisted sense of humor about my own lack of confidence at the time. So <laughs> he's fine. All right. That's it. On that note, let's go to some booing. <laughs> Brr.